Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Hey, 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 Seattle. Hope you're staying dry, cozy, and warm and listening to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, I'm Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your, uh, your samurai of scotch today. I've got... Uh, I got one of the hardest working ladies in the business. Uh, Jamie Mandeville is um, one of the great reps, and she's been on the show before um, talking about Bacardi, the legacy program. But today, we're going to talk about all that makes uskibe uh, or whiskey uh, really, really fun and delicious. Um, and without further ado, uh, Jamie Mandeville, welcome to Happy Hour. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Christopher. Yeah. So uh, I know you were in town for the Single Malt Scotch Extravaganza, and I had the pleasure of uh, working uh, or host, overseeing the spirits program at the Rainer Club for 15 years, and I got to, to know Alan and Maddie Shane quite well, and that was always a fun time. Um, tell me, how sure. many have you been there at that event before? I have. This will be. This was uh, my. This was my third time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they all blend? They all kind of blend together. together. <laughs> it's like, wait, I remember being there. I remember having a dram in hand. How many times have I done this? Yeah. Right. And <laughs> do you travel? To, I know there's some like the Whiskey Fest in Chicago or San Francisco. Los Angeles, yeah. San Francisco, um, Chicago as well, and New York. And uh, are there a couple of different companies doing the, the whole whiskey thing, right? There are. Whiskey's quite popular these it days. It is, especially now as we, uh, well, we try to warm our souls and uh, relax um, by the fireside. So uh, today you've, you brought a couple great spirits. Let's talk about some of the spirits you have. I have. So I brought two of our single malts. Actually, a lot of people don't realize that with Dewar's, it's a blend of 40 different grain and malt whiskeys, uh, and Dewar's actually owns five of the single malt distilleries that go into that blend. Interesting. Can you tell me some of the names, or is that part sure. of the secret? No. <laughs> it's no secret. We've actually released, and we're in the process of releasing all of these single malts to the U.S. So I brought with me today Aberfeldy, which is really the heart of Dewar's. Um, this distillery rests right maybe about a mile away from John Dewar, our founder's uh, home that he grew up in. Wow. So, yeah, and it's pretty much like if you were to take a dart and throw a dart into the middle of Scotland, that's about where Perth is, where uh, where Aberfeldy is. Interesting. So, definitely and farm country. It's not... The other one that I brought along with me is Krigeliki, so that is a Krigeliki. I was trying to figure out how to say that, and I was going to wait for you. I, I teased it on uh, last week's show, but... It looks like Kragalaki, yeah. Kragalaki. Krugalaki. Krugalaki. Okay, good. So Krugelaki. that's a Speyside Scotch, you know, sits there like right at the river, uh, the river Spey. So it's it's along many other distilleries for sure. Versus right. Aberfeldy's kind of out there in the middle of in kind of Highland cattle country. And where does the name Aberfeldy come from? Is that an old plot, an old farm, or an old farmhouse or something? Or do we do we have any history on the the term or the word Aberfeldy? Uh, it is. It's um, kind of the smaller, like little area or farmhouse that it was originally there in the 1800s. All right. And the uh, Kragelicki? 
So it means uh, craggy rock. Craggy rock. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a, a winery down in New Zealand called Craggy Range, and uh, ah, <laughs> made you think of that. Craggy rock, craggy range. Yes. Well, let's uh, let, let's take a step back and let's talk about uh, the history of Scotch. So Scotch was founded when in the 1400s, 1500s, or after that? It's debatable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think most of the history like stretches back to 1400s, even like late 1300s, um, and it's really it follows a lot like when distillation was coming into play in general. Um, and really, you know, I think a lot of people they think about scotch and don't realize that like all scotch is whiskey and not all whiskey is scotch. It's sometimes right. those basics about it, right? So it has to be made in Scotland. It's gonna, you know, with blended scotches, you're a blend between both grain and malt, and then single malts are going to be all malted barley. Right. And, you know, it's funny because when you get to America, we've sort of uh, melting potted everything, uh, all these terms. You know, whiskey has become Canadian whiskey and Irish whiskey and, of course, Scotch whiskey and American whiskey. And, and bourbon. Uh, this, and Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and those are all whiskey, which is the, um, the anglicized or Americanized um, uh, word for uskibe, right? Mm-hmm. Which was the uh, water of life. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I always contend that water of life, uh, you know, was good for the soul. It helped purify things, but it also was good antibacterial. So if you had a little wound or something, you know, you weren't going to die gangrene <laughs> at least. True. That's why. And say. I think that's usually like why in like most languages that usually comes from water of life and most, most liquor and most categories were meant as Medicine. I mean, I still find that it's medicinal, but for sure, that's where it began from. And um, you know, it's much better to drink whiskey than to drink the water, probably because you were going to get cholera or, or other yeah. gangrene or other, you know, depending on what what part of the river you're you're the creek you're from. Because sure. if you're downstream, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be downstream. No, and of course, uh, in France, they call it eau de vie, which de vie. actually mm-hmm. um, translates to water of life. Um, pretty neat. So. Uh, the, when did the when did American barrels come into use for Scotch whiskey? I know that uh, the bourbon barrels was was quite um, a requirement of some sort. I mean, and they they branched out because you would think that uh, is America that close closer to Scotland than Spain is for sherry casks or no? And it's that people are using it like for us, like we're using some um, Spanish barrels as well as ex-bourbon casks and hogsheads. So I think everyone is using a mix of the barrels. It's just over time, and especially at kind of going from, uh, I would say, the early 1900s and beyond, it's the it's a tighter grain with American oak. So you're getting a little less angel share on oh, it. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's good it's to... It's nice to be able to retain your liquid, right, as you're making it. <laughs> Hold your water, so to speak. <laughs> uh, pretty neat. So um, when we think about uh, a Highland malts, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the characteristics that we would think, uh, if you were to, to nose a Highland malt, what would you be looking for? Definitely um, honey, heather notes to it. Uh, it's a little bit different, again, because it's not right on the water, so you're not getting that salinity to it. Also, another key thing to note about these single malts is that they're unpeated. So with you know the initial processes of making scotch, you're going through uh, malting, kilning, milling, and mashing in the initial phases. So a lot of people are using peat to go ahead and um, malt their barley. Other people, like we're using oil kilns with ours, with Krugeliki, and actually doing steam fire to go ahead and dry out the, uh, the barley for Aberfeldy. So everyone's using different processes. But through that, you're getting a lot more of those kind of like sweet honey notes with it along with the distillation process. 
Um, but another like great thing about Aberfeldy is because we're there and there's really no other distillery within sight, we're the only ones using our water source, which is oh. called the Petili Burn. And it's super rich in alluvial gold. So Really? Uh, yes. <laughs> alluvial. Mm-hmm. So alluvial basically means it's come down from a mountainside or been um, uh, rocked down from a river or creek, right? So it's the yes. alluvial fan, so mm-hmm. lots of little. And you, there's some gold in them. i you know that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, hey, this is happy already. You're talking to the expert here. Exactly. Um, so you're pulling out a lot of those mineral deposits in uh, the scotch as well. Interesting. The so do they treat the water? I mean, I'm, they must to mm-hmm. be consistent, right? You must have a little, a little bit of purifier um, uh, just to, to make sure that you don't have, you know, the, hey, a, a deer fell in there. It's <laughs> decomposing. So, yeah, we are going through re- reverse osmosis Reverse process. osmosis, right mm-hmm. on. Um, and how... How long does it take to uh, Aberfeldy? You have you brought the twelve year, right? I brought. Is the this the first year. expression that they've produced? Uh, yes, the first one that we've released out is the twelve year, and then we also have a twenty one year that's available in the U.S. Oh wow! We should probably pour some. Let's pour some. So? I think so. It's, it's the best uh, way to talk about scotch. This is, to is drink true. At the same time. Look! 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 <laughs> Thank you. They say slancha. Slancha, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So um, let's let's go through um, a nosing. Go ahead mm-hmm. and uh, take sure. us through. So it's you know as we're this is scotch and so it is eighty proof. So it is one that you want to go ahead and appraise the color of it. So I like to put you know if we had something that was white behind said glass, um, it's a great way to really like see the color of it. And you see it's like very vibrant, very golden, um, kind of like a sunflower color. Uh, with scotch, a lot of people are using sherry casks, so that will kind of throw an amber tone to it. With this one, we're not, so you see that it's extremely more on the goldenrod side of things. Uh, from there, I like to swirl it around, just like you would do with wine, to see how the legs are, to see how the viscosity in the body is, to see how it sheets down the glass. Um, that'll basically denote the, the quality of it and the mouthfeel. With this scotch, you're going to get a nice uh, full mouthfeel with it, a lot of texture and character and then you know the fun part like appraise it with your nose go ahead and nose it you know don't go too far into the glass because again it'll burn it's not juice it is liquor so and see what you can pull out from there um toasted hazelnuts and um a little bit of heather there's some there's definitely honey uh gold flowers mm-hmm. and a little there's some. Um, it's like a bread crust or something. I, I get something on there. Butter or... Yeah, definitely like a butter. I get a hay note out of it as well. I don't get a chance to smell hay as much as <laughs> I'd like to. Out here in Seattle, it's no, not... No, <laughs> it's, it's too rainy. And gosh, this November it is. Hmm. Um, what proof does uh, the, the original New Make Spirit come out as? Um, it will have a range a bit, but it's going to come out like kind of in that like 50, 50, 54 range. So they don't have to dilute it that much. So this no. is really a lot mm-hmm. of great spirit in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say angel share, of course, uh, that's the part that evaporates and it goes to the angels back in the day. Um, what percentage do, does a cask lose over a year? Uh, about two to three percent. You oh. know, the good thing about Scotland is it's quite cold. It's quite dry. So it's not um, expanding the grain in the wood. So it's not going to be like if you're in... Um, 
Louisville, Kentucky. For Louisville, Kentucky, or even worse, <laughs> if you're like out in the Caribbean, you're you're oh, losing right. even more. Yeah. So. Well, they they talk about that, and sometimes that that, that it's one of the signatures. Um, and I guess that's probably what makes Pappy Van Winkle so expensive, right? Twenty five year, you're mm-hmm. gonna lose. Shoot, the angels drank most of it. <laughs> Having a good time. <laughs> um, so, you do you have a new um, expression coming out for the Aberfeldy? The there's another sixteen year. Sixteen year coming out. When will that be hitting the market? Hopefully soon. I'm told that it's hitting the market like in springtime. So, oh, fingers okay. crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, this is delicious. Now, Highland malts. Uh, this is a very soft. Um, mouthfeel to me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing sharp, nothing acidic, um, nothing astringent. I, I don't know. This to me, this is a great neat scotch. Would you? Does water really help? Does this? Should we try a little water? We'll try a little bit of water because it's always just going to open up some different characteristics. So those light floral notes to it should come out a little bit more. The honey should be more pronounced with it. Um, with Aperfeldy, a lot of it has to do not only with being in the Highlands but also as far as the stills. Uh, so we're using really very tall, slender, like onion-like stills. So that means that a lot of those heavier esters are not getting through that distillation process that can be um, a little bit more like acidic or a little smokier. Mm. Well, I tell you, I added a few drops of water, and this is an interesting water. It's actually Kona Deep when they say it comes from the <laughs> deepest part of around Kona Island in the water, and they take out the salt, um, but it's got lots of electrolytes. Anyway. Uh, this is really a very soft whiskey. Mm-hmm. I think this is um, a delicious dram for if if guys, if you're out there and you want to uh, have your your partner is <laughs> not into whiskey these days. I got to say, guys and gals, I guess um, this is Seattle, but uh, this is a great whiskey to start off with. Um, what's the retail price for this? Uh, this should range anywhere between um, around like fifty dollars, fifty five. All right, and it's in a short, uh, stubby little bottle. Kind of looks like um, the base of a uh, distill, uh, of a still, I should mm-hmm. say, of a copper still. Brown label, um, and uh, I'm sure it's available all throughout the finer uh, liquor shops here Definitely. in Washington. And mm-hmm. we've come a long way. And I, I think when you say 50 bucks retail, hey, folks, the more you spend, the more money our state gets and helps <laughs> everybody. <laughs> um, so, Craig, how do you say it? Craigalicky. Craigalicky. Craigality, yes. Eagle, Eagle, uh, I gotta figure Dial it out. in your inner Scott. All right, so when we come back from this break, we're gonna pour a little Craigality and talk about this space side malt. It's aged 13 years, which means it's lost up to 26 to 30% of the volume. Um, and so what we have here is truly a golden nectar. Hey, folks, I've got Jamie Mandeville, the brand ambassador uh, for some great whiskeys here on Happy Hour Radio. Stick around, we'll be right back on 570 KVI. Northwest Original, Lars Larson, live weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. And I've got uh, a lovely lady with two bottles of Ouskabea whiskey, Scotch whiskey from the island of Scotland or the country. I guess it's an <laughs> island. <laughs> Jamie Mandeville is the brand ambassador and she's brought Aberfeldy 12 and... 
Come on. Kragalicky. 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 That's a 13-year-old, which is interesting. I don't see a lot of 13-years-old. I think because there's this... Maybe that works for Halloween because 13 is that number that for some reason still persists in our society that it's like, you know, you don't see it in hotels and things like that. Right, that it has bad omens to it right. or whatever it may be. 14 is the new 13, though. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. So this distillery dates back to uh, 1896, and this product was released uh, a couple years later. And it was released by Peter Mackey, who at the time owned Lagavulin. Oh, so stubborn old Scotchman. So he had one in Isla, mm-hmm. on the island of Isla, and then and then this one in Speyside that he opened up. So a lot of his principles from his Speyside malt, he brought that into his, um, or from his Isla malt, he brought that into his Speyside malt. So he does things in very stubborn ways, and we've continued to do that over the years. So he felt that thirteen was the best year to release this at. That was the golden year for it. Wow. And even the people, marketing people, probably told him that's not a good idea. Yeah, that number is just, he's he rare. He just didn't care. So, okay. Um, it's an amazing dram. Wait, they had marketing people. How old is this guy? Is he, <laughs> is he still around? No. Okay. <laughs> I was say, when did marketing people show up in the, <laughs> in the 50s, right? With Mad Men and the, you know, the advertising agency. Exactly. That's it. Um, wow. And this is a tall bottle, and it's, um, it's a very broad-shouldered bottle. I like it. It's a top, tall bottle. Here you are. Um, so again, if you want to like just go ahead and like take a look at the color, this one's even more of like a straw light yellow to it. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy for a 13 year. Um, we are using both Hogshead as well as ex-bourbon casks with it. And we say that, so Hogshead is really like a, a hundred gallon or is that uh 500 gallon? 500. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so bourbon cast is going to be basically 25 gallons, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So five, five pa- gallon buckets. All right. So. This is really I mean, I'm getting a lot more gold in this one to me. Yeah. This is really jumps out. And this is also at 46%. Oh. So a little higher proof in it. So not chill filtered on this one. Um, so chill filtering is where you would use the chill to go ahead and take out some of those fatty esters uh, out of it. And what that does is sometimes it's not so much for a flavor profile. It's more that if you leave them in there and you add ice and it dilutes, then it's going to get cloudy. Like the, or the bottle uh, could get cloudy on the absinthe. shelf. Absinthe. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Have you seen a chill filter process before? And, I have, yeah. And do those fatty esters, is there a little residue or something, it's a, a little, tray that comes yeah, out? Yeah, it's, it's just that they rise up and they uh, they create solids. So right. then you can remove it out. They precipitate. Okay. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me, I come from a bartender background. So for a while it was really trendy to be like fat washing your bourbons. So really? yeah, so we would basically go ahead and like get like amazing like noose bacon and like you know put it into the bourbon, put it into the walk-in overnight, and then with like you know on top of a cheesecloth, and then remove out all of those fatty esters from there. Interesting. So okay. it's kind of kind of a similar process, probably with a lot more detail and <laughs> preciseness. I would imagine a lot more bacon anyway. <laughs> uh, fantastic. So uh, this is a Speyside uh, distillery, mm-hmm. Speyside whiskey, and uh, how long is the River Spey? How long is it? I'm not quite sure, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure. What is the mountain range? I have range? jumped into it before. It have you? It's really quite cold. Um, yeah. <laughs> For some reason in my mind, I think it's like this this long, this long creek, because you know you think about this, you can hear the babbling brook kind of thing, but it's really a, a river, huh? Mm-hmm. Is it, it is. a windy river? Um, no, not really. So it moves? It does, yeah. And other, there must be a mountain range where this water comes from. There is, yes. Um, so there is, it's it's a pretty high altitude. I'm not exactly sure like what it is, um, but the river comes like right next to the distillery. We're one of, 
I believe, six distilleries that are pulling from this water source. Interesting. So. All right. Uh, well, so we've got this beautiful golden hue. It's actually, it's kind of electric because this glass is, um, the light for some reason is <laughs> maybe. Just, maybe it's you. It is me. <laughs> I'm glowing, everybody. Uh, all right. So let's take a look at the nose. Uh, it's a little more spice in this one. Mm-hmm. Um Mm. I get some uh, dried apricot. I get a little, uh, I mean, I mean what kind of seed? I mean, you think of a spice, you're trying to figure out what spice that is. It's, it's almost as a little, a faint touch of cumin or something. It's just got a, something in there that... Yeah, I would agree with cumin. I also get like this um, kind of roasted walnut off of it. Yeah, so a little a darker. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, although when I stick my nose deep in the glass, and now I get more of the, the it's kind of a honey or um, a bit of honey because it has some of that uh, creamy toffee note to it. Yeah, I would say definitely the toffee note is pretty strong in it. Um, I get um, kind of like a burnt toast. When they use barrels, do they retoast them or are they just take them straight? I mean, do they try to flavor some of it or is it, you know It what? just depends on the condition of the barrel as they re- reuse it. They may steam it and then retoast it. Um, so it's just appraising it after each fill. So this mouthfeel. A little warmer on the tongue, yeah? It is. It's got a sprightly, um, mm-hmm. that 46. Uh, interesting, so, six degrees, really. Yeah, and honestly, like we kind of call this like the bad boy of Speyside. This isn't your typical Speyside malt. When you think of those, you think of McAllen, Glenfiddich, um, Glenlivet, and they're like very light, easy on the palate. This definitely has some character to it, um, some burn to it. It does have some burn. Um, so even it's a lot of like sulfuric notes, a lot of that like if you strike a match, that um, you're getting that on the palate. So it's for a number of reasons. Um, the stills are much shorter, so you're getting a lot of those like heavier oh, congeners so the coming through. Okay. The esters coming through. We're also using something called worm tubs as our uh, condensers. So most people are using shell and tube condensers. And this may sound kind of super technical, but at the end of the day, using worm tubs, it has less copper contact to it. So copper acts as a conduit right. to go ahead and pull out and kind of filter through a lot of notes and heavy notes that you don't want in your uh, your end spirit. So this has less copper contact. So you're having a little bit more of those sulfur. Interesting. And um, so 13. So the guy, what was the name again? His name Peter was Peter Mackey. Peter Mackey. And uh, mm-hmm. what what century was this in? Was this in the 19th century or 20, uh, 1900s? Yeah, 1900s. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is his family still uh, exist in the business or is it? No, they no. all got out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right. Um, this this is definitely spicier. It's a a little more uh, has a little more body, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's a little more pervasive on the palate. Although it still has a great tactile sense. It's a bit of cream here, but it it finishes dry and a little prickly somehow. Exactly. I would add a little bit of your um, Kona water to mm-hmm. this and see how. Only the finest people. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought this from uh, straight from Hawaii. No, actually, I didn't. All right, so there's a couple drops, and um, what when you say a drop, is it good to add a drop or two drops, or is it a teaspoon when you have a a well, good ounce and a half? Much, yeah, you have your, so with an ounce and a half, I would start with a couple drops, and you can always add to it. Oh, wow! Now that just really opened up the palate. This one a lot. changes a lot, right? It does, and the palate got a lot deeper, a lot more broad. And a lot that spice comes out now. It's really, mm-hmm. 
Oh, the, it's a long finish. That's crazy. That was two drops of water. Right. Like I've noticed that, like you know, as you were talking about, like what that spice is, almost like an allspice note comes out of it too. Wow. Mm. Uh, now this is not your gateway malt like the Aberfeldy. No, this is definitely for you know someone who's already drinking seasoned. scotch. Yes, a seasoned <laughs> uh, scotch drinker that wants to try something unique and different. And uh, the uh, Kragalki. You got it. I did. All right. So, h- how many expressions do they produce? Uh, so, they have right now four expressions. Um, they have a thirteen. Uh, a 19, a 23, and a wow. 33. They like that the three, huh? Yes. Um, 33. It just came out last year in the UK. And you drink that with a rolling back or rolling rock? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've only been lucky enough to get like small drops of it. So <laughs> Interesting. So at the Single Malt Scotch Extravaganza, um, how many whiskeys were there? Like in the, there's probably 60, 70 whiskeys, or were there more than I that? I think there were more than that. I think there were like 100 whiskeys. Wow. Yeah. And it's really hard to, to, to taste them all. Um, and what would you say for someone who wants to attend one of those events in the future? Is there a, a methodology where you want to start with Highland and then go to Campbelltown and then... Yeah, I would definitely start with your Highland and your Speyside Scotch sure. and then work your way out to the more, you know, to ones that are peated. Like definitely finish with Isla because otherwise your palate's going to be blown for sure. Right, because uh, Isla's got a lot going on in now. But also small quantities because a lot of them are at cast strength, so... Right, and um, I, I'd almost suggest actually adding water to each one of them mm-hmm. because I think you'll you'll get more of the expression uh, outside of the a lot of burn and, right. and you know your palate can only take so much but adding that water it softens it mm-hmm. and it really it broadens the palate so it's really neat yeah it is interesting you know as I go to the distilleries and I meet with our blenders um, they when they taste through the scotch or like any spirit they're actually bringing it down to 20 percent so, oh, that's where that's the uh, that's the ABV what, where uh, they feel like for they the can wee ones, huh? Mm-hmm. That's for the babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, if you're being a true professional with it, that's where you're at. I think most people going to whiskey extravaganza are trying to walk both paths, right? right. They are trying to be, uh, you know, they, I tasted so many anyway. <laughs> uh, Jamie Mendel, what a treat! Thanks so much Thank for you. sharing the Aberfeldy 12 and the Kregelicky. 13. 13. Um, so fun. Uh, great to have you back in Seattle, yes, and I look forward you. to seeing you again. Yes. Hey, you. folks, uh, drinking some great whiskeys here. And uh, coming up next, we've got uh, RN74 has got some great new, uh, got a great new chef. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest original. Lars Larson, live weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round three. And I've got um, something really cool to chat about. Um, In this season, with all this good food and all these social gatherings and parties, it's probably really easy to indulge a little too much in both food and and drink, um, but we always, uh, you know, encourage moderation <laughs> in one of them anyway. And um, I'm excited. I've got uh, 
a Harvard grad who is uh, also uh, a graduate from cooking school and a nutritionist. Um, and he's got a book. His name is Alex Lewin. He's got a book called Kombucha, Kefir, and Beyond. And the cool thing about this stuff is that these are fermented beverages. And we've had kombucha, uh, kombucha before talking about how it helps regulate the system, your pH, and it's really good for digestion. And this is one of those things that we shouldn't overlook because it's easy to go out and buy all sorts of things to aid, but those aren't always the best things for you. And a lot of times, natural, uh, when you use natural ingredients, it's going to have the best effect. So uh, without further ado, hey, Alex Lewin, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, Christopher. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Awesome. Um, And uh, I'm here in Seattle. Where are you calling from? I'm in Cambridge, Mass. right now. Ah, okay. How about that? I was there. That's a cool little area. Uh, and I toured Harvard before. Um, you ever been to Seattle? I have only been there once, but I, I really would like to go back there. There's a lot of fermenting going on there, from what I hear. <laughs> this is true. We were fermenting grapes and apples and pears and uh, uh, barleys and wheat and all sorts of things. So we're probably... Th- I think we're the number one state outside of California. Um, well, I guess that makes it number two, doesn't it, for <laughs> for alcohol production? But let's talk about um, kombucha, kefir, and beyond. You've got this new book. Tell us what inspired you. Um, well, I'd, my first book was a book called Real Food Fermentation. That came out about five years ago, and um, I looked into uh, simple ways to ferment things, easy step by step in a home kitchen without any weird equipment and um, in the course of uh, attending and giving workshops on fermenting um, I was put in touch with a woman named Raquel who uh, is a fermenter in Mexico and we did a workshop together and then we started talking and it became clear that that we had a common interest which was fermented drinks and um, uh, a little while later, we wrote this book together, Kombucha, Kefir, and Beyond. Pretty cool. Um, I'm looking at the uh, table of contents here. Uh, here we go. Why Ferment Your Drinks is a chapter. Um, our cultured history, uh, the fermentation, science, and health. Um, <laughs> before you start, which I think is always a good one. Um, starters, master recipes, uh, vegetable drinks, sodas, beers, grains, roots. Um, and then you take a little riff on wine, ciders, and fruits. Uh, and also, five-minute recipes. Now, that's really cool because sometimes these things that, oh, I don't have the time to do anything. But let's talk about um, a basic kombucha. Uh, do you, what's a recipe and, and why would I want to make it? Right. Well, you can eat fermented foods or you can drink fermented drinks or, you know, you can do none of the above. But I advise doing both. Um, the <laughs> The reason that I like drinks is because, first of all, they're easier to deal with. You can carry them around. You don't need a fork. You can share them with your friends. Um, you don't need a knife or cutting board. Um, also, um, we have drinks that we already drink in our routines and you can substitute in fermented drinks for the the ones that you already have and, and chances are they'll be better. So, let me see. Where where would you suggest that I start? Why don't you give me a, a basic recipe for a kombucha? Um, and uh, just something that uh, obviously it's easy to to make. It's probably something that I don't have to worry about. Um, just give me a little recipe and, and tell us how easy it is to make. I'm not sure. Right. I remember what you asked me. Five minute uh, five minute recipes. Right. So 
I, uh, to the extent possible, we try to lower the barriers uh, that we're preventing people from making fermented drinks. So kombucha is one you can't actually make in five minutes, but if you have kombucha, you can drink it. Um, but the five-minute recipes, like one of them, for instance, is uh, a drink called Switchel, which is a traditional you know, colonial American drink based on apple cider vinegar. And raw apple cider vinegar unfiltered is a probiotic drink. Uh, kombucha is not that different from vinegar. So this is a drink you can make with a bottle of apple cider vinegar you buy at the store, a little bit of sweetener, honey, maple syrup, molasses, something with a lot of minerals in it maybe. Um, you can grate a little ginger in there and you can add water or sparkling water. Then you have something called switchel, which is a healthy probiotic beverage. And you can probably even trick kids they ask you for a soda, you can probably give them this, and it'll be way better for them. So that's that's one of the five minute uh, five minute drinks. It's similar to kombucha, but not not exactly the same thing. Sure, that's that's a real. You can make it right now and enjoy it. But if we were to make a kombucha, what's a? Is it take two weeks or a week or so to do a, a three gallon um, batch? Or give me a sort of a, a synopsis of a batch of kombucha. Yeah, it, it depends a little bit on um, what the ambient temperature is. Kombucha's happiest at maybe like 75 or 80 degrees warm room temperature, um, but it'll it'll work fine down to like, I don't know, 60, I'd say. Um, so with kombucha, you, you start with some of your kombucha from the last batch, along with a weird floaty thing that looks like a piece of squid that's called the <laughs> SCOBY. And uh, the mother means, uh, <laughs> yeah, the mother exactly. Symbiotic collection of bacteria and yeast, um, and you have that, and then you add sweet tea to it, and then at the end of maybe a week, uh, depending on temperature again, you'll have a big batch of kombucha. It will all have turned into kombucha, and then you take most of the kombucha, you put it in bottles, you keep enough of the rest, and then you add more sweet tea, and then you do the same thing over and over again. And uh, you, you dial in this process for you know the equipment you're using and the room temperature and all that to get the amount of sweetness that you want or the amount of sourness that you want. Then you put, you put the kombucha in the bottle for a bottle ferment or for what's called a secondary fermentation. And that's when you can add some fruit or some herbs or spices or whatever. Um, and then you let that sit out for a while, maybe a week or two. Um, and then it'll build up some fizz because when it's fermenting in the bottle, um, there's nowhere for the carbon dioxide to go. So it gets dissolved back into the liquid and then you open it and it's fizzy and exciting, just like the kombucha you buy at the store, except it's, made with the ingredients that you chose exactly the way you wanted to. And also there's, there's a problem, there's a small problem with the kombucha at the store is that in order to keep the alcohol level oh, um, right. under half a percent, which is the statutory limit on a non-alcoholic beverage, um, kombucha makers have had to do various things um, that are not exactly the traditional kombucha with and and so they they change the formula a little bit and may compromise the health benefits in some ways. It's very hard to measure like specific health benefits because it's so different for different people. But um, you make it at home, then you have it the way you want. 
Right. Um, and there are a host of uh, national companies producing kombucha, and of course, lots of local ones here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, has this, this fermented beverage um, come back to, you're calling from the, the original colonies, is that a big deal out there now? Um, Switchell? I, I don't think it's a big deal anywhere. It's still, it's still undiscovered, and it's a little fringe, but if you go to the stores, you some stores you can find a bottle of Switchel on the, on the shelf for five or six dollars. And when you look at the ingredients, um, <laughs> the total cost of goods sold is maybe fifty cents, and you don't even have to brew it for two weeks. I mean, with kombucha, you pay three or four dollars, and you know there's a convenience there because brewing kombucha takes some time and patience and all that. But Switchel, you the ingredients you can buy all the ingredients at the store, so um, that illustrates another of the advantages of making your fermented beverages at home yourself, which is it's, you know, maybe a tenth the cost if I had to pick a round number. Um, and if you have a big family, that it starts to add up. Sure. It's like uh, making coffee at home or spending that three-something over at that uh, that green coffee monster that is originated down the street here in Seattle. Hey, I love it. I, I'm a spe- perfect comparison. That is. Speaking with Alex Lewin, who is the uh, Harvard grad who's gone into the, the fermentation of food and beverage, and he's got a book called Kombucha, Kefir, and Beyond. Where can we pick this book up for our listeners? Um, well, there's another Seattle-based company that um, sells a lot of copies of it, uh, <laughs> Amazon. All right. Um, you can uh, find your local bookstore and ask them for it. That's even better because if we don't do that, then pretty soon we won't have any local bookstores. That's right. So Cool. Hey, folks, stick around. I'm going to be back with Alex Lewin, the author of Kombucha, Kefir, and Beyond, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, folks, welcome back. We're having a great Saturday night. Time for our fourth and final segment. And I've got Alex Lewin, the author of Kombucha, Kefir, and Beyond. It's this book about, it's a fun, flavorful guide fermenting your own probiotic beverages at home. And that means you're going to save a lot of money and you're probably going to feel better uh, all around and probably take some pride in this home, this home brewing kind of thing. Um, hey, Alex, I'm looking through this cool book. It's a hardcover book available, of course, at our friends uh, uh, Jeff Bezos' little shop called Amazon. But we have a, ho- a whole host of uh, private uh, small boutique bookstores, and I know that our listeners love doing that. That's part of the Seattle culture. Um I see something in this book called Kimchi Soda. What is this all about? A lot of times uh, we don't want to eat things. We want to drink things. And uh, we want something different because we're sick of what we have around us. So if you have a, anything like a sauerkraut or kimchi or pickles, whatever, you can juice them or you can just puree them in a food processor and then push them in, in a um, strainer and get the liquid and then add it to some soda. And then you have you know, something different. Um, I will add that fermented drinks and fermented foods are excellent hangover helpers, too, because of all the B vitamins in them. And in fact, when you filter beer or wine, like most of the beer and wine we get now, you lose a lot of B vitamins. 
Oh, no. Well, so you can't... I'm surprised they haven't come out with beer with vitamins in it yet. I saw something the other day that they're trying to... Uh, I think it was vitamin wine. Um, but who knows? So, in, in fact, you actually... Uh, have some recipes for people to make their own beer and wine in this thing. Is that right? Uh, we stay away from the mainstream sort of straight ahead beer and wine because so many people uh, do that so well. Um, I, I think it makes sense to be strategic with how we spend our brewing time. So we focus on the slightly off the beaten path things. That's cool. Um, and here's one of my favorite. It's called prison hooch. <laughs> now, do, do you have to use a dirty sock, or um, is there something else you can use? Tell me about this one real quick. Um, it's, you know, wine made in a trash bag. Um, the main point is that, that it's very easy to ferment things using the available tools, and so you don't need, like, a perfect, you know, barrel and hoses and gauges and things to make anything you want. <laughs> I love it. So it says it yields, uh, uh, what does it say, three servings, eight ounces each, one cup of ripe fruit, three cups of fruit juice, and some granulated sugar, and then uh, pour it in a bag. That's interesting. Um, pretty neat. So uh, saying cheers never felt better. Um, I really believe that I, I've uh, had a couple of subscriptions to um, some Seattle uh, kombucha, and uh, it's really helped me. It's a great alternative beverage when you want to reach for, A, just a club soda, which, you know, I mean... It's not as good for you on this one. Um, do you have a favorite recipe in this book for, for people that, uh, you know, people goes, hey, all right, I want to try this one because this guy says this is his favorite. For people who are adventurous and don't mind a little alcohol, I love the pineapple wine, tepache, which is a pretty normal thing in Mexico. But in the U.S., like, not, not many people I've met have known about tepache. And you take the core and the peels from the pineapple, the parts you aren't going to eat, and you right. turn them into wine. Wow. Okay. Uh, and how easy is that? It's pretty easy. It's, uh, yeah, it's easy. You just need a knife and a cutting board in a jar. And you just add water, and it just ferments, or do you have other ingredients? Uh, you add water and sugar. You could probably do it with pineapple juice, too. But, yeah, the husk of one pineapple, a cup of sugar, and maybe a little over a quart of water, and then give it a week or two. All right, so I see. I'm looking back here. You've got some cool, uh, interesting recipes. One's called Caliente, uh, and that is um, a cocktail involving tapache, which you were just referring to, ginger beer and hot pepper sauce. Wow, that's probably a good tonic for mm -hmm. something that ails you. Um, then you've got the uh, kombucha sangria, of course, the tapache smash, the kimchi Bloody Mary, which sounds really cool. Now, here's one that, of course, may be uh, under fire, the Lewis C.K. Kansas City. <laughs> Yeah, no. There's a, we can go with the Kansas City name if we want to avoid right. controversy, I suppose. Uh huh. And that is a, a kombucha and Campari, hmm. which gets the sweet, sour, and bitter, um, and you can balance it to your taste. And it's it's a great uh, before dinner thing, or you can sip it, yunk it. You know, it's not too strong, but it definitely holds your interest. All right, I'm looking at this. A graduate of Cambridge School of Culinary Arts and uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Hey, Alex Lewin, um, thanks for spending some time uh, sharing your book, Kombucha, Kefir, and Beyond, available at local bookstores and, of course, our friends at Amazon. Uh, we'll look forward to the next one and uh, wish you happy holidays. 
Thank you, Christopher. Uh, happy holidays to you, too. Pleasure being on your show. Awesome. Hey, folks, you heard it right here. Take care of yourself. Uh, enjoy something and make something. And most of these are very low calorie because uh, it's just you don't need a lot of anything to make this flavorful. You've got the sparkle. You've got the acidity. And, of course, you've got uh, home great ingredients. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show with Jamie Mendeville and talking about scotch and, of course, um, how to take care of the digestive system with kombucha and kefir. Uh, remember, folks, life is always better with the designated driver. See you.